the little blue things going across making all sorts of waves. So I'm pretty sure that means we're recording this. So now that you've just heard that description, all of you online, you decide whether you want to continue listening. <laughs> okay, so let's load this this way. So the microphone is close, but not that thing in my ear. There we go. Now, two weeks ago, that's how long it's been. Can you everybody remember two weeks ago? Some of you are you're working on it in your head. Two weeks ago, we did an introduction to the book of the Revelation of John. And um, for some of you, the, the looks on your faces, honestly, I really should have set a camera up behind me because it would have been very entertaining. Uh, we could put that stuff on Facebook. But there was just all sorts of interesting looks um, because we're talking about a lot of things that are very foreign to us, to how we understand things. But the other thing that I saw as I talked with you was a growing understanding of, uh, of a lot of the meaning of things as we got more and more into symbolism. So that's the thing that I want you to remember, that, that understanding this at any level, and, and it really doesn't matter how you uh, view the revelation, whether you see it as um, prophetic for the future, for it's all ha unfolding today, or it's going to be next week, or it all happened in the times of the Romans, or it's something in between, or all of the above. The bottom line is everybody agrees on one thing at least, and that is there's a lot of symbolism in there. And if we miss the, the meaning of the symbolism, this, it was, it's like a code. This is not art. This isn't, you look at the painting and it means whatever it means to you. Have you ever had someone tell you that? Mm -hmm. I have a good friend who's an art major. And I actually have several good friends who are art majors. That's really amazing, come to think of it. And that's the thing I hear from them frequently. What does it mean? It means whatever it means to you. And okay, I'm good with that because it means what I want it to mean, right? That's not how this is. These different symbols had specific meanings, meanings that pretty much everybody who was familiar with, for example, numerology, or the symbolism of color, or the symbolism of basic elements, water, fire, uh, wind. Um, these are things that are, that are common almost to everybody, literally almost every culture. We cannot then look at those and then just say, well, then I think it means this. That's like saying, I think, I think this is a jet plane. <laughs> it's, what is that? It's a chair. And no matter who you are, it's going to be a chair. And I can think it is whatever I want, but if I sit in it, it is not going to fly me to Denver. It isn't going to happen. So that's the thing we've got to realize. There's, there's concrete, objective meaning in the midst of all of this other stuff, uh, which is admittedly and intentionally uh, very different than what we're used to. Is that making sense? Okay. Are there questions from the study guide? Um, or, because you didn't see it on the study guide, and obviously I should have had that question because you have it, um, or anything in between that you want to make sure that we cover as we approach, um, today we're going to go from 
uh, well, we're going to try to go from chapter 4 through, through chapter 11. And believe it or not, that's only half of what I did the last time I taught this when I came to this section, because I went all the way through 16 last time. Yes, sir? Do you have a copy of today's? I just happened to. There you go. Does anybody else need today's, a copy of today's? Right. Okay. At the end of the session, I'll give you the one for next week. Any other questions? Words? So I'm assuming you were able to find all the words and what they meant and why in the world did I put them on the list? And everything else? No. <laughs> Well, those might be some of the questions that we should address, but I can't tell if you don't tell me. Um, verse, I mean, um, chapter 10, verse 9, something about eating the book, and I know it must be symbols. <laughs> well, maybe it was a good book. <laughs> no, but then it turns Excuse me, I'm not getting any credit for that? A good book? Okay, eating the book. We'll address it. I'll let it wait until we get to it in, in the flow. All of them. Okay, so question six is what? What is that about, somebody? Describe the throne room. All right. Throne room. And seven? So what? And eight? The seals on the scroll. Okay. Uh, the seals. What's the point? Okay. Good questions. Oh, wait. I asked them. Come on, you guys are going to have to have more fun with this. So your question is, all of the above. I couldn't do that symbolism, the story, so I couldn't do any of that. Okay. I'll bet you could, but I, I do get that. Yeah. And I get that, because we get into a frame of mind, and you have to sort of work your way out of that frame in order to say, oh, there you are. Exactly. It kind of opens another window. Okay. Hopefully that will open tonight. What else? Okay. So I'm going to come back and say all of the words, obviously, you, you were all able to get easily. So obviously I need to strengthen that. Well, that's part of what's here. Note any words you are unable to define or for which you do not see a meaning that illuminates the passage. So if you're looking at it going, so, then that should be a question. It's like, why did you even put it there? Question four and five. Four and five? Question. What about four and five? Oh. <laughs> I love that. I love that. 
I did that to see if you were paying attention. So, so yeah, my question 12 would be. <laughs> okay. Oh, now, I have another question. Okay, and what would that be? Why did you have two 11s? Same reason I did four and five. I'll tell you what I did on that, honestly, is if you remember what I said a minute ago, the last time I taught this, which was 2009, okay, in 2009, this was chapter 4 through chapter 16. And so I went into the study guide, copied it, halved it, and then inserted other things in both sides. Um, and obviously didn't proof that one particularly well in terms of uh, the number flow after I did that. So that's what happened to it. So there. Could make up a much more dramatic story, but that's what really happened. All right. Oh, uh, let's see. Now, what I just handed you is an outline that can be useful to you even tonight, but hopefully will be as we go forward. Um, I realized I hadn't given you this one two weeks ago, and it was my intent to give it to you with the other outlines that I gave you. Um, this one um, basically just takes each of the sections, like the letters, for example. The letters are obvious. It just breaks it down by the cities to which the letters are written. So then when you come to the next section, we're talking about globally the battle be between good and evil. And that's what we start talking about tonight. And so there's Christ in the cosmos, and then there's Christ as the conqueror. But now we get all of the symbolism, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven signs, um, the woman and the beast, the fall of Babylon. And uh, we're going to... We're going to stop tonight and even next week with what's A. So tonight and next week will be Roman numeral 2, letter A. And then after that, we'll pick up with B and move forward. And if you look at it, you'll find that um, Roman numeral number 3 moves pretty quickly. And it's, it's also, frankly, a lot more obvious as to what it's saying, at least to most people. So, you know what I did not do? I will, I will email this to you if you're on the list. Is I did revise the, um, the schedule. And the way I'm going to try to handle this is, if you remember, this class was going to go to um, Kids Fest. And then that was going to be, the next week would be Kids Fest. And then the week after would start something different. So the way I'm going to do it now is we're going to go ahead and just move through it. It may or may not fit exactly the start and stops that I've got in here. I'm not going to worry about that too much. But assuming because we lost a week that we're a week behind when we get to that, we will, of course, still break for Kids Fest. That's an all-church activity. But the week after that, we'll come back and do the last week's section. And if we fall any further behind, then we'll, we'll do what we need to do to get through it. I'll put it that way. I'll just commit to doing that. But hopefully it'll just be that one week. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. All right then. Let's go to chapter four. Now, 
Chapter 4 immediately draws your attention to the fact that there is a chapter 3. Because otherwise, why would it say 4, right? So chapter 3, he finishes up with a saying that he has been saying before. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, the, the throne part is not in the formula, but the overcomes part is. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That ends the part about the seven churches. And now we move then to the next part. Remember that in the original, there is no chapter. So John didn't say, okay, take a break for a week, and then we're going to move on to, as New American says, seen in heaven. Isn't it nice of them to describe for you what's going on? Um, be careful of that. They're wrong sometimes. Chapter 4. After these things, that's all of those um, visions of uh, Jesus telling him what to write to the different cities. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. So he's now invited where? To heaven. To heaven. There's a door up there, and there's a voice, and here we have the very first of the regular symbols, and that is musical instruments. Now, they didn't have all of the musical instruments that we have, but the ones they had symbolized different things. So, the sound of a trumpet, a voice like the sound of a trumpet, what do you suppose that means? Okay, number one, it's going to have volume. The reason would be that the trumpet was something that, uh, that's the whole point of the bell, it projects it out. They had um, criers, is the English word. I'm trying to think of their word, and I can't think of it. But they had people whose job it was to stand in the marketplace and bellow. They would make formal announcements. Somebody, a marketer, might hire them. And, you know, they would do their, the patter, whatever it was. But if you don't have that voice like a trumpet, you don't do that because nobody can hear you. So this is somebody who's, it's, it's almost like an official summons, an official uh, invitation. Because if you're making those announcements, if you're reading out new um, uh, laws that someone has enacted, who do you work for? The, the government, at least. Yeah, depends on the, on the location. But you work for the person in authority. Therefore, you have the authority. There's, there is an authority that goes as well as the idea of, of this bellowing sound. Um, and there's the idea that it's kind of an announcement. And that, you know... That part's a little weak here, but frequently when you hear this idea of the, the sound of a trumpet goes off, that was getting everybody's attention. It's time for, to, for you to listen. It's an announcement here. So a voice 
like the sound of a trumpet. Shut up and listen. Now's time to pay attention. Okay? And he says then, come on up, because you're going to see this. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he was sitting like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. You're seeing now another set of symbols, and that was, again, something everybody could relate to, and that is precious stones. Okay? They're important. They get people's attention, but they're not all the same. A diamond is going to be different than an emerald. Okay? And then you've got things like the jasper. That's going to be different than the diamond. So the fact that there's several of them here calls attention to the wealth, to the glory, to the grandeur of what's happening. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Now, I'm, I'm doing this a bit laboriously for the moment, but that's okay because I'm trying to get us used to this. So, again, we've got symbolism. We're, one of the questions, and it was up here, is the, what's the throne room look like? So the throne room, first of all, looks like a throne room. It's a room, and it's got a throne in it, right? When you think of throne, what do you think of? Big seat. Okay. Big seat, authority sitting in the big seat. Power. Power. Um, I even think of, of guards. My mind goes back to things like my picture of the Roman courts, um, the Persian court, Esther. Esther walks in. If he doesn't extend the scepter, she's dead. Because there's guards right there. They're not going to let just anything happen in the throne room. So the throne room is, uh, it's not like a family room. It's not a bar where people are just gathering. It's a very special place. And there's a throne in the throne room, but there's 24 other thrones the word throne, by the way, just means seat, chair. But context clearly sets it aside. Um, in many of these cultures, by the way, chairs, chairs were harder to make. Um, and almost all of these were very poor cultures. So it would not be unusual for in a throne room for there to be stools. And you would have to be pretty high ranking to even be allowed to sit in a stool. Because otherwise you're going to do one of two things. You're going to be on the ground and as a show of submission, or you're going to stand as a show of respect, one or the other, because you're standing before the throne, right? But here's 24 other thrones. So the symbolism of that is whoever's sitting in them are people who are being honored. They have special uh, privilege to be here, and they're called elders. Um, and the word means, guess what? They're older. <laughs> That's exactly. So what exactly is that about? Who knows? Elders could be a reference in the church. Remember, this is roughly 8100. It's almost there. So that's something well-established. It could be the elders of a synagogue, because this is apocalyptic literature. It's Jewish roots. It could be the elders of a town. Typically, in these smaller towns, there would be uh, a group of elders who would be like the town council combination of excuse me of the um, um, 
what, what's the, the, the uh, Chamber of Commerce? That's what I'm looking for. Combination of, of Chamber of Commerce, of uh, City Council, and of District Judge, District Court. It would be all of the above. Okay. Now, who are they talking about? What's the best answer? We, know. we do know they had status. There's, there's a reason for that. 24 is a number. It's a special number because it's two other special numbers. It's two, which means twice as much. And it's 12, which is one of the major numbers of completion, of fulfillment. So two times 12 is twice as good as 12. All right. See what it's like. I mean, they're, they're, it's a code. And what? Who's who's they? They, whoever God told him to write this book. Well, here's the thing. God didn't write this to you. He wrote it to him to write to us. No, he did not. He wrote it to him to write to the Christians in Asia Minor primarily, but through the Mediterranean world in roughly 98 AD who were under persecution by Domitian. That's what he wrote it to. I mean, how does God expect us to understand Greek? See, we take it for granted because we have English translations and we forget that that takes people who have given their entire lives studying not just the language but just certain books of the language to render a good translation to us. And the reason we have to do that is we refuse to learn Greek. That's the reason. Do they have some place we can go and register and learn about all these symbols? And well, any, any place you could learn Greek would teach you that, actually. There's, yes, any so, Bible college or seminary will have classes on this. Do they have a class that says symbolism? No. no. It's just classes on scripture or on the, um, the uh, I suppose you would call it anthropology, but the, the customs of those times. Mm -hmm. And any of those are going to have, Hope has that, doesn't they? If they don't, you should quit. What? <laughs> okay, you know this is being recorded, right? No. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, the course when I was in Bible college was usually called Customs and Manners. I always thought it was hilarious because manners never meant what I thought manners meant, but, you know. Um, so the bottom line is, God expects us to study. I mean, it's actually in the Bible telling us to study, right? Look at 2 Timothy uh, 2.15. It's in there. We need to understand the Bible was not written to 21st Christians, or 21st century Christians in Orange County, California. Was it written so that, was it preserved so that we can learn from it? Absolutely. But the difference between those is, one of those is, I'm going to get it like that. Because these people grew up with that symbolism. What does the number 13 mean to you? It means bad. What does an eagle mean to you? A bald eagle. America. What does a turkey mean to you? Thanksgiving. See, we've got our system. Every culture has its system. And this, all this stuff that I'm, I'm teaching you, if you think about it, a lot of this we have too. Throne. We don't have, if, if I said instead of throne, Oval Office, 
Would you get it? See, immediately we're there. We don't have a king. We did, we did away with the king thing. So the word throne to us is antiquated. But in half countries in the world, even today, that has still some pretty significant meaning. So that's, that's the point of doing this study is we need to put ourselves back there and just, just learn that code that it's not secret. Okay? And it's not even that hard. It's just different than what we're used to. And the way we learn it is partly what we're doing right now. Now, you have to take at faith what I'm telling you. So if I say to you that throne means power, intuitively you know that, but you can check me out. But to check me out, what do you have to do? Yeah, you're now, by the way, Gary, not the rest of the congregation. Because Gary's over there when I say, what should you do? And he yells out, study it! Because he refuses to say, read it. Okay, it works too. You have to, you have to study it. There's all sorts of, of books that help you do that. You don't have to start from scratch. You don't have to go do archaeology and you know, spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what throne meant. But it does require that we put some of that effort in. And again, even just reading the Bible, we've, we've talked about this before. How do I know what, when Jesus said, love your neighbor, how do I know what it meant? I have to study. And how do I do that? Is it really hard? Yeah. No. <laughs> it isn't. It is in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I know people who do the study guides that I put out on. The, what I put out on Sunday mornings are not as difficult as what I'm giving you tonight. I warned you about that. Because this is a class, and that's just a sermon. But I know people who do all of those words, and it literally takes them five to ten minutes max. And they get the meanings that I'm fishing for. It's not just it means love. No, it doesn't. Love is an English word that's almost meaningless for Pete's sake. What are we supposed to do? See, that's the point of putting that in there. Because if I just say love, then, okay, go to Webster's. There's 25 different definitions. Pick the one you like. And that's not the way it is. Love didn't exist. There was no English. So I look up the word, and I need to do one of two things to do that. I either learn to, to read Greek, which every person in this room could do. Guarantee you, every one of you could do. Or I learn to use the resources that we've got sitting in that room right next door and available to you online, where you can go and say, here's the word in this reference, and it tells you what word in Greek it was. With English letters, so you don't even have to read the Greek letters if you don't want to. And then you can look that word up in any number of dictionaries where people have spent their whole lives studying to be able to present us that information. That's what it's about. And honestly, that's what this class is about. Because I've told you guys many times, um, even from the platform. This isn't just a class on the Revelation. This is a lab on how to study the Revelation or how to study the Bible itself. Does that make sense? The, so, the, act, the process is not hard. The committing the time to make it meaningful. To start with. 
to start with, because honestly, it doesn't take that much time once you learn the tools. I mean, what I've got here could take you five hours if you don't know the tools. Well, yes, but I mean, it's one thing to take it out, put it down, put down the answer, because I'm cutting and pasting like a fool, and I got it done in five minutes. But to really read it, ponder it. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Meditation always takes time. Exactly. Yes, yes. And, and you don't understand without that right. Of the, right. So it's, more, it's the time that's hard more than the process. And sometimes it's also realizing that, for example, with these words, but you can see the same thing sometimes in the, the, the code that I'm talking to you about of these symbols. Um, elders. We've already used the word, so somebody tell me what the word for elders is. Okay. Again, never worry. I'm going to pronounce it the way I was trained to, because frankly, it's just too much work to try to figure out how not to. But nobody knows how first century Greek was pronounced. So don't worry about pronouncing it wrong. It's not possible. Presbyteros. That's how uh, Greeks today pronounce it which I guarantee you is not how they pronounced it then. But at least a Greek today would know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, there's the, the accent marks. Um, yeah. So presbyteros comes into English as presbyterian. Presbyterian is somebody who is given to presbyters. What is a presbyter or a presbyteros? Mm, you're, you're not incorrect, but it's, that's from more study about the role, not the word itself. A mature man the word I'm looking for is mature. Because we joked earlier, what does elder mean? It means older than. Okay. So I have a friend with a three-year-old and a one-year-old. One of them is the elder of the two. Does that qualify? Absolutely not. A three-year-old doesn't make it here. Okay, So there is this um, connotation, not necessarily denotation, connotation is added meaning to the word that means maturity. So without pointing fingers, and please no one shout out a name, can you think of someone over, say, 30 who is not mature? Can you think of someone over 50 who's not mature? Any of you got some of those over 60 or 70 that's not mature? <laughs> See, don't be throwing names out. So, I know, just continuing to caution. So, it's not just about chronology. See, so when I put the word down, it's not just getting the name or the meaning of the word. It's getting why is that word significant? Because these are people who are standing out because of their personal maturity and their commitment. Would that be their maturity in, in Christ and God? Well, it depends on the context of the word. So an elder of Ephesus, probably not. Odds are pretty good they're not Christian. The elder in the throne room, probably. The elder in the throne room, almost certainly yes, because otherwise why are they in God's throne room? Yeah, exactly. And you knew that by a simple process which you intuited, but it's one of the major uh, principles of understanding scripture. 
context. So you know this because it's also the major principle in understanding any other written communication. Basic context. Now, you guys have just had a college level, yes, believe it or not, college level lesson in basic hermeneutics. And the only thing left is knowing what that means. Hermeneutics. Well, I don't because it scares people off. Hermeneutics. It's a science not of biblical interpretation, but of interpretation. Period. In other words, the same thing applies to reading Shakespeare. And by the way, if you read Shakespeare, even though it's supposedly English, there's going to be words in there that mean something different than what you may think they mean. So there's times you're going to have to look them up and say, what did someone 500 years ago mean when they said that English word? And it's not what we mean. See? So hermeneutics. Now, this comes from Hermes. Does that sound familiar? Anybody? Yeah, definitely Greek. Anybody remember who Hermes is? Yes, although not quite angelic. He is a messenger or interpreter of who? No, almost, but no. What if I said the other god? Zeus. You know, he ain't going to condescend to be everybody's messenger, just the king of the, of the gods, see? So you have Paul and Barnabas walking into a town, a Greek culturally town, it was in what we would call Turkey, and Paul heals someone. And Paul and Barnabas all of a sudden are mobbed and they're worshiping them and they're, they're preparing to make sacrifices to them, not of, to them. Paul as Hermes and Barnabas as Zeus. Why Paul as Hermes? Well, partly he did the healing. He did the talking. <laughs> he was the mouth. See? And, and to us, we see that as, okay, he spoke, and Barnabas kind of sat back and let him because Paul was more the leader of the two. And there's no question that's true. But to them, no, Zeus did not condescend to communicate directly to humans. So Barnabas, the quiet one, must be Zeus. The guy with the mouth, that's Hermes. See? How do I know this? I actually looked it up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, this, this is not the least bit hidden. Uh, that is from a specific passage in the book of Acts, and virtually any historical commentary on that passage will tell you that, because it's fun, right? And it's not, it's not hard. It's not something hidden. Um, that, that's what I'm trying to say to you. Everything that I share with you in here on Sunday morning, don't tell anybody else. Should I turn this off? Shh, don't say anything. I'm not really that advanced. 
I'm not giving you that much. I've just studied it. And there's not a person in this room, there's not a person in this room on Sunday morning when it's junior high through senior high who couldn't do the same thing. Now, I have been, I will grant you, been doing that for 40, 72, what is that? 45 years. So hopefully I've got a little bit of time on some of you and that means something. Because otherwise I'm just frustrated with the time. But that's the only reason, honestly. This is simple stuff. There's other stuff that's not as simple, but that isn't it. This is simple stuff. Don't let it scare you. I spoke to, I spoke to uh, Bethesda's, um, their version of step one. Step, we have step one, step two membership classes. It was their first membership class Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. Um, as I was waiting to do our step two class. And um, I was invited in to greet them and to explain a little bit of our attitude about who they are. Because it's important to us that they understand we are partners. Compañeros. See? Compañeros. Not, and I don't know the Spanish name for this, not landlords. Um, not jefe. Definitely not jefe. I'm standing next to Ronald and I go, pastor, pastor. No. No, 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 just Ronald, you know. And that's a big joke between us now because I don't like the title and the honorific thing. So I keep telling them, Randy, Randy. And they look at me like, you know. Now, one of them started to say something to me, and I said, shh, slow. And he said the thing slowly, laughing as he was saying it. But he said it slowly. I actually understood what he was saying. I figured it out. But I was so intimidated because he's going, blah, 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 like, and I'm blown away by it. There's no way in the world I could have gotten it. See, If I keep telling myself that, I will never be able to talk to him. I actually said numerous things to them in Spanish. I was so proud of myself. They were all smiling like, sure, kid, keep it up. All right, I, a little bit of an excursus on this, but it's worth it. Because we need to understand this. If we get intimidated by all of this, sooner or later we're going to give up. We're going to stop. Um, you guys are in different places with this. Some of you have been in classes like this for how many years? I think, I think you two, when I first started doing the midweek ones, which was 10 years ago, when I did the midweek ones. Um, and I started them like this, and it was a bit of a shock to people. We started with 25 or 30 people in the class, and we ended with 10. I'm very good at getting rid of people. <laughs> Somehow that's a gift. Um, but you guys are now doing this like this. You know, you just said, I, I do it, and it was five or 10 minutes. Yeah, you know the resources, you know the, the tools, you know how to use them. So obviously, I need to be putting some other things in there. No. We talk about time like money, if you think about it, and we have to spend time. When you spend it, it's, you, you can't spend it again. It's spent. 
right? I give you $100 for something. I can't now use that $100 for something else. It's gone. And time is the same. So you have to ask yourself, how important is knowing the Word of God? And yes, that was rather heavy-handed, the way I put that. <laughs> well, it is the way, isn't it? Um, this Sunday, we're gonna, uh, I've, I've changed the sermon. We're changing the service because of events that are happening around us. I think we would be, as one of my staff put it, we'd be a bit tone deaf if we didn't address this. And uh, I read, a, I read a, an article earlier today, and it is now the title of my sermon. Can we handle this? There was an article written by a secular author in a secular newspaper written to the United States public. Can we handle this? Because that's the question so many people are starting to ask. It's like, really? One more thing. Over and over we have these things that blow us away, that, that traumatize us, even if we have nothing to do with it personally. Can we handle this? The reason it's so important that we spend this time is we know the answer. If we spend the time in the Word, if we don't spend the time in the Word, we're the ones asking the question. We don't have an answer for other people. And this is why the Lord asks us to do that. Um, some of you have heard me say this before. If you converted to Judaism today, Orthodox Judaism, not the, the Reformed or liberal, what are you going to do tomorrow? You're going to start Hebrew school. It's that important. You're going to do it. How are you going to find the time? Don't know. Don't care. You're going to do it. If you convert to Islam today, what are you going to do? You're going to learn Arabic real fast. I mean, real fast. You're going to learn Arabic because they're not even going to do most of their services in English. So you're not going to have a clue what's going on until you learn that. What we're doing is actually easier. Because we're not insisting that we learn Greek and Hebrew. It would be a good idea, by the way, but we're not insisting on it. So you stop and think about it, we're really not asking that much. But the world sees it and goes, whoa, and they're blown away, and then we, we go by that standard. We need to change the standard. If, if God has spoken, what's more important than finding out what he said? And if I stand up there and tell you on Sunday morning, how do you know I mean it? How do you know it's right? Because I'll guarantee you, I say things very different than some other preachers in orange. Which one of us is wrong? Because it's not a matter of opinion. One of us is right and one of us is wrong. We're contradicting each other. Which one? Pretty important to know, isn't it? How are you going to know? Lord willing, it's not because you trust me. <laughs> That's a real dumb approach. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just is. <clears throat> And it's, a, and it's why so many people um, in, in organizations called churches <clears throat> excuse me, practice something that doesn't even remotely look like Christianity. And it's been true now for 
You remember in the in our small group someone asking me about the laity? The what? The laity, laity? last week Wednesday. <laughs> the laity. As a clergy and laity, it's been true since the clergy-laity split, which doesn't exist. There's never been such a split because there's never been clergy. But the world thinks there has been. And that, by the way, has been somewhere in the neighborhood of about 18 centuries. And the reason that there's, that split was perceived <coughs> excuse me, is because we, we have this from letters, ancient letters, that church leaders were bemoaning the fact to one another that so many of the Laos people, hence laity people, so many of the people were simply not willing to do what they needed to do when it came to service and Bible study. And they left it to the leaders. And then it became this... Centuries of practice. There you go. It was never the way it was supposed to be. Okay, enough of that. <clears throat> hmm? Nah, we're going we're gonna to cruise here. So we got the, the throne room set up somewhat. Uh, we got these guys, by the way, once again, uh, 24 elders. They're dressed in white. What does white mean? Purity. Purity. <clears throat> Excuse me. We still know that or think we know that, right? Even with the cultural changes that have existed with the sexual revolution, what's the color of most bridal gowns? Why? Yeah, it isn't taste. It isn't they hate colors. It's because it symbolizes purity. Okay, and they've got golden crowns. A crown symbolizes two things, actually. Power is the one most people will think of. The second is victory because it comes from the laurel wreaths for winning a context or from winning a battle. And they would be decorated with these laurel wreaths in, in the celebration of the victory. But this one is golden, and gold stands for what? More purity, More purity but also Bench. worth, uh, wealth. It, it was extremely precious. Okay, So poor people didn't have gold. Only wealthy people had gold. So all of that packed in, you just got a, a, a big, big um, emotional picture of what's happening with these elders. And they're sitting in the throne room of God himself. Okay? I can't help but think that those 24 thrones are a little bit smaller than the one that... Well, one would assume, yes. In fact, I've seen pictures of it, so I, I know. Good. Okay. Verse 5. I have. What can I tell you? Out from the throne. Oh, wait. There's 25 thrones. Which throne? Of course. This is the big throne. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Excuse me. Flashes of lightning coming out of the throne room of God? Written to a bunch of people who are in a Greek culture? This is almost humorous. Yeah, you just got a picture of Zeus's throne. But it says to those who came from that culture to Christianity, they're now reading this, this Jewish literature because of the roots of Christianity and Jewish uh, culture. But they came from the other culture. And what was just said to them is, no Zeus. No, that kind of power, that's God. That's where that comes from. 
And it was a big statement being made to them because the, the pressure on them was to acknowledge the other gods. No one cared if they believed in Yahweh. It was just don't believe only in him. All right, so pretty important right there. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Isn't that nice and cool? Yeah, I got a picture of a bug somehow. Because it's the only thing I can think of with all the eyes. But clearly that's not what they were like because the first creature was like a lion. The second, like a calf. The third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the, the Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. Stop for just a moment there. Now we got a, we got a little bit of an earful there because I'm obviously we're going a little faster because we don't need to be that pedantic on the symbolism. But you get this feeling. Do you get a feeling? That's the point of this. Is to get a feeling of glory, of of majesty, of power. That's what this is about because this is the throne room of God. And by the way, is there a throne room of God? Well, I think if you do some more study of Scripture, you'll find out. Because can God be contained? No. This is, without doubt, an anthropomorphism. Does God need a chair? Seriously? Of course not. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not about him needing it. That's an honor to them. Because they get to be in his presence. But even his presence, since he's omnipresent, it's an anthropomorphism. It's a figure of speech. Because it helps us, with our limited ability to understand, to picture the glory, the majesty of God. Does that make sense? Because then when you say, oh, and by the way, he's everywhere else too. It, it, it's not just, oh, he's just everywhere, like oxygen. God is oxygen. No, he's not. He's not a chemical. He's all this power, all this glory. Nothing has more power and glory than him. And, that's, and he's, and he's the, the creation itself. That's the point of all these weird creatures, that God is so far beyond our understanding and our experience that these creatures that we can't even understand that can do weird things like they see everything day and night. They don't sleep. They're always seeing things day and night. And they've got six wings and they're always flying around. And they're always, in all of their glory, doing what? Praising God. Praising God. I mean, this is, this is extreme. I don't know of a filmmaker who could touch this. Yeah. How, how can you picture this? And the beauty of this kind of literature is it, you, you picture it in the head, in the brain, and our brains can conceptualize beyond what our eyes can see. Which, by the way, is what good filmmakers do, is 
somehow trick your brain into going beyond what there's what you're seeing but we don't have a, a visual we just have the words and he's done it that's the power of this kind of literature and by the way if you're going to say to a group of people who are being beaten down by an army who are being persecuted and who believe there's some guy in a city a thousand miles away who has power of life and death over you and he's telling you to do something and you're fighting to not obey him. This picture of God becomes pretty important. Understanding this is who God is and this is who's on my side versus Domitian. That's extremely important because this, this wasn't potential. We think about this and think about what if we were in such a circumstance. There was no what if for them. That's the whole point of John writing this to them, of the Holy Spirit giving this to him, is to tell them, if you have ears, listen. It's the one who overcomes to the end who gets the reward. Okay. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him and uh, him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Which, by the way, includes them, right? Now you have a picture of the throne room of God. So what? Well, we've kind of gone there, haven't we? The so what is, if you're listening to this, if you're getting it as the code gives it to you, it's almost like being colorblind and then all of a sudden seeing color and understanding the colors. And then all of a sudden it's, it's much bigger. Then you walk away from this passage with an extraordinary view of, of God's majesty, His power, and you're wondering something else. You're wondering about those elders. Because the interesting thing is He included some people in this process. And there's a hook that keeps you, what's next? What's going on? Okay. I believe that's six and seven. All right. I, this, this, does anybody have questions on any of this? We've, we've gone through a lot of it already, but questions on four so far, or so far. Okay, let's go on with five then. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. Written inside simply means it's got covers, but there's, it's not blank. Okay, But it's sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to bring its seals or break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. What's the word worthy mean? Didn't I ask that? There it is. Axios. 
What's it mean? Deserving. It can mean deserving, but it does not always mean deserving, and that's kind of the trick. For example, we are told in the New Testament that we are to behave in a manner worthy of the gospel. Is it possible that we can behave in a manner deserving of the gospel? No. So what's the other meaning to it? Which, by the way, complements deserving. Suitable. Suitable. That's a little bit different. How is one suitable? Well, suitable would be there. Unsuitable would be not quite there. Right? Is what I'm wearing here suitable? Okay. If I came dressed in a Speedo? Yes, this would be bad. Thank you for saying that so loudly for me. Not suitable. We just put together a dress code for the platform. Some of you are platform people on Sunday morning. And the whole point is we don't want to distract from worship. So everything needs to be what most people would consider suitable because that's not going to distract them because it's appropriate. There's another word. So axios is the word we get axle from. It is, it is that thing which makes this wheel and this wheel in sync with each other. So this wheel is appropriate to this wheel. If you don't have that, this wheel's going different than this wheel and the vehicle's going to wreck. That's the word. So nobody was found who was either deserving, because that in this context might be the meaning, or suitable even. <coughs> Appropriate. Somebody who could do what needed to be done. Somebody capable of breaking those seals. And without the seals being broken, then of course no one gets to know what's in the book. Well, in that case, it's matching the, the task with the ability. So we've got to be careful about the word worth because that's the word we're trying to, de to define. Okay. Now, by the way, the very fact that there's this book in the right hand of who? I'm assuming it's Jesus. Um, probably not, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but that's, it, it's, we're, we're almost playing semantics. It's God, the creator of all things. But remember the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit part because that's going to come out in a minute. Um, someone walks in, and God himself is holding something. Is this important? <laughs> I mean, the very fact that God's the one who's got the book. It's God's book. What is in God's book? And, of course, there was the tradition that God had the book of life, and that's going to actually be referred to um, later. So if this is the book of life, we want to know if we're in it. We can't. Why can't we? In here. Because it's sealed. Jesus has no seals. Because it's sealed and no one's opened the seals and no one can be found who can open the seals. So John literally begins to weep about this. And then one of the elders says, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, 
the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. So now that's why I'm saying it's, we, we separate the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb. Now that's my emphasis. Because, <laughs> you know, this is obviously, again, it's, it's uh, either symbolic or, or at least um, representative. Because Jesus was a human, but he was also, of course, the Lamb of God from Isaiah. So I saw a lamb standing as if slain. How do you stand as if slain? Anybody know how to stand as if slain? Yeah. It's a contradiction of terms. Dead people don't stand. But something is emphasizing the fact that he has been killed. Which, of course, for Jesus, in the throne room of God, that's something pretty important, right? Because now we're going back to the crucifixion and the meaning of the crucifixion, which, of course, they all knew. So he's, he's standing there as one who has been slain. And again, have fun figuring that out having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world, the earth. By the way, spirit there is capitalized. You notice that? What does the word spirit mean? Yep, that's in there. What, well, okay, what is the word? Okay, pneuma, um, in this case, pneumata, which is... The uh, T-A on the end is like adding an S in English. It's plural. Because there's seven of them, right? But if it's capitalized, what does that usually mean in uh, an English translation? Capital S, Spirit. Holy Spirit. And you'll see the word Spirit in the, the Bible without capital. And that's the translator telling you they don't think that the text is referring to the Holy Spirit. Why do I say it's the translator telling you that? Because it was written in Greek. Yeah, because at the time that this was written, there were no small letters in Greek. There was only capitals. So anything that capitalizes is a translation or interpretation. And in this case, it's, it's, it's capitalized. But are there seven Holy Spirits? Well, seven itself is, is important because it is one of those two big numbers, seven and twelve. But are there seven Holy Spirits? So the question we have here is, is that capitalization the way we would normally take it, is that accurate? And guess who has to decide that? God. Well, no, God already knows. We're the ones that don't know. No, we, we have to. Be. We have to. See? Now, I will, I will bet you almost anything, and it's in La Mirada if anybody wants to take me up on this. So almost anything for me is $10. That's a lot of money. So I'll bet you $10 that if you went to the Lachman Foundation, the group that translated this, and said, were you trying to say there's seven different Holy Spirits 
that the Trinity is actually not a Trinity, but nine? Father, Son, and seven different Holy Spirits? What are they going to say to you? No. Well, duh. Of course, they're going to they're look at you like you're nuts. Okay? I think. I haven't asked them, but I'm pretty sure. So they're not necessarily trying to say this is the Holy Spirit, so why would it be capitalized? Well, except, except the problem is, is he representing the Holy Spirit? Or is the, are they representing the Holy Spirit there? Because if, if not, if I'm correct in my assumption that there's not seven Holy Spirits, then it's not the Holy Spirit at all. So what would it be? It's a spirit. The word means, some of you started to rattle off other words, by the way. Go ahead with that. Pneuma means what? Breath. Breath. Wind. Because when, you know, like that, you're, you're making wind, right? Um, sometimes even life. Because of the idea of God breathing into us and that gives us life. And when we no longer breathe, we no longer have life, right? So, so it has that connotation as well. Or what we call spirit. And spirit itself can mean different things. It can mean a creature, a spiritual creature, a non-body creature. We think of angels that way. Although clearly they have bodies, but they're spiritual bodies because we don't always even see them. Or demons, an evil spirit. It's a creature. But once again, it's not a physical body. We don't see them. So it can mean a creature. I, I, I want to say person, but it's not. We think of human with person. Uh, but a creature that is not bodily. Or it can mean an attitude, even an emotion. He's in good spirits today. That guy's got a spirit of criticism about him. Have you heard things like that? So it can mean all of those, any of those. How do we decide? Mostly it's going to be context. I will add one other thing, though. There is a reason why that capital is there. Who owns, so to speak, the spirit? They are the spirits of God. That's, I think, why the capital's there. I actually not asked the translators, but I strongly suspect that they're not suggesting that there's seven different Holy Spirits. So I'll go with that. So when he had taken the book and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. That uh, Another one of the places, by the way, not by any means the only, where we are called as a people a priesthood. All of us, not just 
specific people. But in this case, that's secondary to the point is these 24 elders are falling down and worshiping this lamb. And of course, the lamb of God is Jesus, right? And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Stop for a second and we'll hear what they say. But this is going to be loud, guys. How many angels are there? What? Well, there's at least thousands of thousands. Not thousands and thousands of. That's multiple, multiplication. <laughs> there's got to be a better way of saying that. That's multiplication, not addition. <laughs> right? A thousand, one thousand thousands is a million. Just one. So if there's thousands of thousands, we're already into the millions, right? But the other one, myriad, is what? Ten thousands of ten thousands. So we've got one of two things. Either it's beyond our imagination, which, ironically, I say, is not hard to imagine, or it is a figure of speech. And what would the figure of speech be? Pardon? I mean, you couldn't count them all. Well, I yeah. Them right. So the figure of speech would be hyperbole. And it's basically just saying to you, it's that many. It's, it's more than you can imagine. All right. We don't know which, by the way. There's certainly nothing that says it could not literally be millions or even billions of them. We know nothing about these spiritual creatures. And certainly nothing that would tell us that can't, that can't be the, the exact literal thing. What we do know is that one way or the other, this is huge. And they're all singing praise to the Lamb. All of these amazing creatures are singing praise to the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So whether it is he deserves it or it is entirely fitting and appropriate, it means the same thing in this context because he is, he's the one who's to receive all these. Every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them I heard saying. John just heard us. Did you catch that? Every created thing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And then the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. When the four creatures said, Amen, um, the word is, Amen. <laughs> it's Amin, but yeah, it's the same word. What does it mean? Does it mean the end? Let it be, or it is. Um, it, it, it can mean both. So Jesus says, truly, truly, I say, amin, amin, is what he said. So you know, we, we've got to be careful because I've even heard people read this and, and um, say it, it's like this whole thing is coming to a close now, and they're saying, now the end. No, they're not. <laughs> This is never-ending. This is praise of God, which will be eternal. 
Um, it's, it's the opposite of at the end. But it is the true. And then these elders who are being honored before God in the throne room fall down and worship. Which just, by the way, reinforces my interpretation of the song I can only imagine. You've heard the song? So, yes. Wonderful, beautiful song. If you don't have it, go buy it. I'm totally good with that. I have no financial interest in this. But it's a beautiful song. But it's also nuts. It's also ridiculous. We will hit the dirt. Don't have to imagine. You're going to do it. The 24 elders who are selected to represent humanity for Pete's sake hit the dirt. Guess what? We're going to hit the dirt. And then we could just imagine that with, by the way, every creature that's ever existed anywhere singing praise to God together. That's going to be fascinating. That's going to be something beyond us. <laughs> just, I, I started to say something different, but that's, it's not beyond our imagination. It's just beyond us. Does that make sense? And that's the point. The whole point of this passage is to let them see the glory, the power, the, the eminence, the transcendence. Think of any of these hyperbolic words of God and the throne room of God because the rest of this book is going to be saying he is the one the evil is fighting. Who, by the way, is the evil? To the people who are getting this who, are, who is the evil? The Romans, and there is one Roman. The emperor. Domitian. The Romans, are just, they just did whatever Domitian said. It was an absolute monarchy. And, and it was actually, in the Romans' view, a theocracy. The imperial cult was the worship of the emperor as a god. See, he is the one fighting God throughout all of this. That's all of this symbolism boils down to that because the whole message is God's already won. And they see this at the very beginning of it. God's already won. How did he do that? How's it going to get? I don't know. They don't know. We haven't finished it. But it doesn't matter. You can, you can be encouraged. You can be heartened. Because he's already won. Does that make sense? This is, I don't know. I, I, I somehow feel I am underselling it. It is so important for us to hear. Because what John is doing is giving life, literally, to people who are just this close to stepping over the edge and giving in to worshiping the emperor. Turning away not overcoming. And we're going to see in this very section, numerous chapters later, if you've read ahead, the, the, the judgment that falls on those who do that. So the whole point John is saying is that you don't have any reason to do that. It looks like it to you. Of course it does. You're only seeing this little part here. You're not seeing what's going on in the real place. Earth is just a, a bad reflection of the real place. But that's what's happening in reality. And that's your future. It's an astounding, glorious thing.
All right. We did get off on, on uh, that side trip, but I'm not the least bit repentant about that, frankly. Um, I think it was probably useful. With that, I will not spend quite as much um, probing and probing and probing for every symbol. I will come back and make sure we look at symbols. So if you've got symbols that you're seeing in the study guides um, <clears throat> or in the, as you're reading and you're not getting, what's, all right, what's with that? Why is that there? Um, that's the kind of thing I want you to note and to bring up because if, you've, if you're asking that, odds are pretty good one or more others in the class are asking that as well. I'm not sure what you're asking. Did we land anywhere with them? Oh, no, I think the, the creatures are just your creatures. By the way, the word creature is a pretty big word, too. You know, an artist speaks of his creation. That's not a small thing, is it? So when you think of God that way, this is God's creation. It's not a, the creature is not a small thing. But I think the point of the creature is not that there's somebody or something that we know of or can relate to. Perhaps quite the opposite. That they are, this, this is, when you go to see God, this is what you can expect. Things beyond your imagination. Because that's the norm for God. Things that have powers and abilities that you can relate to. We can see. But imagine being able to see out of hundreds of eyes, 360 degrees, day and night, all the time, and process all of that. I mean, it almost gives you a headache to think about it. And the wings are showing constant movement. Well, and flight itself. Flight itself was seen as a very important thing. Um, they, they had not achieve flight um, mechanically as we have but even for us the idea of me flying as opposed to that giant machine I mean, is there anybody here that wouldn't think that's pretty cool so uh, these creatures with six wings each um, it's not just two it's three pairs of two being able to fly around and hover around and um, they're the honor guard, if you will. Okay. Um, I will um, take a quick picture of this, and we'll come back in the next week. We will start where we left off and move through, and so we will get to the ones, the first one and the last one of the two that we didn't answer yet. Okay. Okay.